So we're continuing our journey through the book of Luke. And um, I have wrestled all week, not with the passage, like not with, I'm not struggling with what it says or how to say it. But this next chapter is broken up into like six parts, right? And they're all focused on one thing. But there's this part and then he tells a story and then he comes back to a part and then he's got a part and it, it, it just bounces, right? And I'm like, well, do I do this one and this one and this one together? And then next week, come back here and go here. Do I try to do 45 verses in, you know, 25 minutes uh, to get us on through here? And I, I, I struggled and I struggled and I struggled. Well, you know. This morning, I'm like, well, I know, I know this stuff. What God, what are we going to do? And he's like, you're going to get done. All right? So we're, we're, we're going to cut through 40-plus verses today, okay? Now, don't let that scare you. It's not like we're going to, you know, we're, we're going to navigate it, okay? And here is, here is, what, is what is happening. Um, people see situations and things very differently. Our perspectives are based a lot on who we are, where we are, how we see the world, what our political views are, what our religious views are. We all see the world very, very differently. And so as things happen, for some people, they're, 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 they're raising hallelujahs and other people are whining and complaining. For some people, they're feeling great gains in their heart and other people are saying, that cost me. It happens everywhere. And the Bible was no exception. Jesus comes into Jerusalem, all right? And, and it is supposed to be a joyous occasion and there are people who are humbled and they're bowing and they're raising their hands and they're saying worthy is the lamb and all of this is going on. And then there are what we call the mutterers, those who mutter, right? And they're like, well, if he, if he, if he, if he, I, didn't, I wouldn't do it that way. I don't know. And, and, and listen, it's, it's been happening ever since, okay? Especially in churches. We have a really bad reputation for being mutterers, okay? Except nowadays we call it gossip. And God calls it ugly, all right? But these mutterers, all right, happen to be the religious folk. And Jesus spent way more time getting up in the grill of church leaders than he did prostitutes, than he did tax collectors. He went to their houses. He ate dinner with them. He sat down at the well beside them. But the people who talked a big talk and then got nasty... He got right up in their grill. It's a whole chapter of him cleaning house. Remember, he has just come into the temple and flipped the tables upside down. He has cast them out. And we talked about the fact that he didn't cast them out because there was money in the church. That wasn't the issue. The root of the issue was the problem, all right? You're not, it's not just about you making money, and it's not just that the leaders of the church are making more money, but you're making it on things that are supposed to be holy to me. I need your heart in the right place. Don't come up here, buy a bird, bring it to the altar for sacrifice. What's that? Do the hard thing. Raise the animal. Bring me your first fruits, your first lamb, your first dollar. Bring that to me. They were destroying the heart of the matter. That's what ticked Jesus off. That's what made him angry. He was angry because what we're supposed to be doing, loving, learning, becoming, was getting ruined right in the place where it was supposed to be glorified and magnified. 
And I'm not sure. Now, don't go saying the preacher said Jesus was on a high horse because he wasn't. <laughs> he came in on a donkey. He did ride in on, 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 a, on a, you know, mule, yes. But he finally just goes, I, I think, I think, let's say that. I think he got in his head. We're in the last week. I got a lot of good ministry to do. I'm going to wash my hands of all this religious negativity. And he goes to town for a chapter. All right. They're trying to get at him. And he's giving it right back to them. One day, Jesus is teaching to the people in the temple courts. This is right after he flipped everything over. It's the last week. And the chief priests and teachers of the law, together with the elders, came up to him. Tell us, by what authority are you doing these things? Who gave you the authority? You're in my church. You're in my business. What gives you the right to speak leadership? Now, if I'd have been just, I'd have said, whose church? Who, whose business? Who, 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 who holds the key to life? And, mm. So, so let, me just, let me just tell you right now. One of the biggest, most drastic mistakes that human beings make is we think we are more than we are. We think we can do more than we can do. We think we know more than we know. And it gets us in a ton of trouble. Jesus said, well, can I ask you a question? So they ask him a question. And don't you hate it when people do that? Answer you with a question. Jesus goes, let me ask you a question. Uh, John's baptism. And we're talking about John the Baptist here. John's baptism. Was it from heaven or from human origin? Now, it sounds like a really weird question to us. But it wasn't a really weird question at all. Jesus just zipped their mouths and, 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 and hog-tied their lips closed, all right? Because here's why. Everybody is standing around. So you've got the problem is that the crowd is there. And everybody loves this teacher. They, they love him, all right? And the Pharisees are ticked off because he's getting all the attention. And he's saying things that they've not been teaching for years. They're like, do the right thing, be the right thing, live the right thing. Here's the list of rules. Do that and everything's okay. And Jesus says, no, there's a Messiah. Know him and everything's okay. Well, who do you think it is? This guy. All right. So Jesus, Jesus asks him a question. He says, John, when he baptized people, did he do it with? Human origin or heavenly origin? Now, here's the problem. They denied that John had the authority to baptize at the church, right? So he's out baptizing in the Jordan out, out in the woods, all right? And everybody's going to see him. So if they say, well, his authority was of man, the hundreds of thousands of people that went out to get baptized him, he just said to all them, your baptism was no good. And they're not about to do that. But if they say John baptized of a heavenly authority, they have to make themselves look bad because they've already said he doesn't have the authority. And if we say in front of all of these people that he has the authority, we look stupid. And Jesus is like, Mm -hmm. And so their response is, they discussed it among themselves and said, if we say from heaven, he will say, why didn't you believe? But if we say from human, all the people will stone us. Um, hmm. So they said, we don't know where it was from. Jesus said, well, then I'm not going to tell you whose authority I'm doing these things under. Because even if you saw it, you wouldn't understand it. You wouldn't know it. You wouldn't get it. So no. And then he went on to tell the people a parable. So he's got them kind of bent over a barrel, 
reeling. You know, they're like, oh, they're trying to get at him and they're reeling from it. And he drives it home. I mean, come on. We, we, we have a loving Jesus, but he drives it home. We, sometimes this is not the Jesus we want to hear about. Here's what he says. A man planted a vineyard, and, and everybody knew back in the day that the vineyard was a symbol for the nation, the people of Israel, okay? Rented it to some farmers and went away, all right? So what happened was there was a guy that owned a huge vineyard. He called people he trusted to work the vineyard so it would continue to produce while he was away, okay? That's all he did. At harvest time, he sent a servant he wanted some fruit from his vineyard, right? At harvest time, he sent a servant so that the tenants would give some of the fruit. But the tenants beat him and sent him away. He sent another servant. But that one they also beat and treated shamefully and sent him away. A third went. They wounded him and threw him out. Gets a little bit worse every time. Then the owner of the vineyard said, what am I going to do? I mean, it's, my, it's mine. Isn't, isn't it, my, isn't it my, my fruit that I'm asking for? I'm going to send my son. And whom I love doesn't quite do it. The word is beloved. I'm going to send my beloved son. That would have triggered their ears. Because this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. It was exactly what God spoke when Jesus was baptized. So we now have, metaphorically, we now have, uh, using some simile, all right, to, to compare Jesus into the story. He's inserted himself into the parable. He's like, I'm not just telling it to get people to get it. I'm actually saying this is the way it is. But the tenants saw him, and they talked the matter over and said, this is the heir. If we kill him, then the inheritance will belong to us. He'll have no choice but to give it to us. And so they threw him out of the vineyard, and they killed him. Wasn't another beloved son executed by the very people he was sent to save? Huh. What will the owner of the vineyard do? He going to come kill him and give the vineyard to somebody else. And when the people heard this, they said, God forbid, or they said, let it not be. Can, can we change the direction of this particular story? Folks, we need to change the direction of our story. We need to change the direction of the church's story. We have for years decided that good people doing good things gather in good places and sing to a good God. And only one piece of that is true. He's a good God. The rest of it is a sin massacred mess. And when we stopped admitting it, the world that needed it doesn't see the fruit. And if the fruit is not returned to the master, the people are killed. We don't want to talk about the fact that the other side of kingdom work is hell. Sin, darkness, death, 
and Jesus came to overcome it. And the very people challenged with sharing and caring and giving killed him. Jesus looked directly at them. Yeah, he did. He ain't playing. This is what the meaning of this is. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, the firm foundation, the rock on which it stands, okay? Everyone who falls on the stone will be broken. Anyone on whom it falls will be crushed. This is what the Pharisees, this is what the Sadducees, this is what you and this is what I do not want to hear. God came to be a firm, blessed, life-giving foundation for our lives, for our churches, for our families, and for the world. He is the firm foundation. He is also the judge. He is also a God of justice, and justice requires that some do and some do not. Justice requires that there must be a price for things that we do. And Jesus says, you'll pay the price unless you accept that I paid it for you. You'll pay the price unless you accept that I paid it for you, Jesus paid it all to him I folks we've lost it we've lost our way when it comes to that we'll sing it we'll celebrate it and we go about our lives and our dollars and our cars and our time and our schedule that's what Jesus cracks at next the teachers of the law and the chief priests looked for a way to arrest him immediately. Now, by now, you'd think they'd learned. Jesus has cracked the whip physically. He's cracked the whip verbally. He's cracked the whip emotionally. He's embarrassed them. And everybody around is like, oh, what a teacher. Except the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, and the people who should be teaching everybody else. Because they knew he had spoken the parable against them. Well, they're catching on but they were afraid of the people. Keeping a close watch on him, they sent in spies who pretended to be sincere, hoping to catch Jesus in something he said so that they might hand him over to the governing authorities. We're gonna spy on him. We're gonna act like we love him. We're not gonna speak the truth and we're gonna see if we can trap him. You can't. He's never been wrong. He'll never be wrong. So the spies asked him a question. You'd think they'd learn that too. Let's try again. Let's ask the perfect person on only all time universally idiots. Teacher, we know that you speak and teach what is right. Man, you're good at this. You don't show any partiality, but you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. Is it right for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not? You always preach the truth. But you know, honestly, we're being overrun. We're being overrun. We have to say Caesar is Lord when we know he's not. 
We have to, we have to pay our taxes to Caesar. And he's taking over all the, 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 the locations and all of the countries and all of the towns. And power is spreading everywhere. And you're talking about this ultimate authority. But Caesar, So do we pay taxes to Caesar or not? He saw through their duplicity. Love that. It's an everyday Bible word, isn't it? Two-faced. He understood that they were just blowing sunshine and trying to trick him. He saw through their duplicity and he said to them, show me a denarius. He said, hey, you got a quarter? Somebody, somebody give me a coin. Anybody got a coin? Somebody give me a coin, right? He said, whose picture's on the coin? They said, well, Caesar's picture's on the coin, right? This is when he says a famous line that we've all heard, but there's more to it. Render to Caesar what is and render unto what is. Tricky. Tricky. What is, what is God's? Everything. And Jesus in the back of his mind is going, they're actually going to answer this. He knows they're actually going to try to give an answer for this. And I'm going to let them. Listen, every time a new Caesar took over, guess what they did? Print him more money and put a new face on it. It was literally Caesar's money. <laughs> when he, if somebody dies and they come into power, boom, we imprint his face on it. Next time. Boom, we imprint his face on it. It's literally Caesar's money. They print the money for the Caesar and it is distributed throughout the land. God says, guess what? You can fake it all day long. You can do whatever you want to do and call your power whatever it is over and over again. But eventually you die and somebody else's face is on the picture. I'll take everything. Thanks. Why are you focusing on things that don't matter? Why are you focusing on things that you will leave here? Why are you focusing on things that won't last? And we've said this before. I, I, I said something about a hearse not pulling a U-Haul, right? <laughs> and then Probe sent me a picture of a hearse pulling a U-Haul. True story, it happened. But you get the point. He says, the problem is not that I'm not here. The problem is not that I don't love you. The problem is I can be standing right in front of you and you will look everywhere else for everything else, relying on whatever else is behind you, in front of you, beside you, that you think will overcome your sorrow. You think will overcome your anxiety. You think will overcome your loneliness. You think will overcome your heartache. You think will make you a better person. And Jesus is saying, I'm here. And it's all mine. So no matter what it is that you gather, it's coming back to me when you're gone. And we lose sight of it. How much money is in my checking account? Look at my tithe that I gave. Look at my tithe. Not yours. Never was. You ain't nothing more than a valve. You are nothing more than a valve. You simply swing the gate to decide where your children go, where your money goes, where your power goes, where your time is spent. You are a valve. It all goes back to him.
They were unable to trap him in what he had said there in public. And they were astonished by his answer. I love the next line. And they became silent. Jesus never had to say shut up. He just shut them up. Some of the Sadducees who say there is no resurrection came with another question. Again, how many... Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife but no children, the man must marry the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. And there were seven brothers and one married a woman and she died and was childless. And the second and then the third and in the same way up to seven people dying. Finally, the woman died too. Now then at the resurrection, whose wife will she be? What? let, let, Let me tell you what this is. This is arguing over foolishness. And I'm going to call some people out here, not individually, but just church people in general. All right. I grew up believing, all right, that the Bible said thou shalt not smoke. It it had to absolutely be in Scripture somewhere. Then I learned that it wasn't in Scripture. So I wouldn't say to someone thou shalt not smoke. Not because I did or did not think they should smoke. I just didn't feel like I had the authority to tell someone, according to the scripture, they could not smoke. And then the Pharisees came to me and said, but your temple. Oh, but the body is a temple. Now, some of you were like, well, that's exactly what I'd say. Except that's not what it means. That is absolute abuse of the scripture. Again, I didn't say that you should smoke. All I said was, that's not what that means. And if you're going to come to me with that argument, let's talk about salt. Let's talk about sugar. If you're going to bring me an argument, you better come with the guns. I'm pretty good at this game. But what I will not do is say, thou shalt not dance. Thou shalt not play cards unless it's Rook. That was in my grandparents' Bible. (laughs) True story. Grandma, you can't play cards, son. She called me son. Shouldn't play those kind of cards. Grandma, what's that game played with? Cards. Help. Can can, can I give you a little bit of historical context? Traditionally, uh, uh, us good Baptists, us good Southern Baptists, don't drink, don't smoke, don't chew, don't run around with girls who do, okay? I thought that was in the Bible too. So, you know, we could, I got into this thing. I don't know how I got into this thing because I was only like four foot three, but I was in cotillion. I was in cotillion. So in cotillion, they send you places and you go to dances. Oh, my poor, my poor WMU princess grandmother. I mean, literally the day she died, I think the WMU struggled. I mean, it was, she was uh, glorious. All right, the Women's Missionary Union unified around this woman, I'm telling you. But Cotillion, oh, son. Okay, I wanted to, I never said this, but I wanted to say, Grandma, didn't David dance in the buff? Praising God? (laughs) All right, so I'm, I'm, I'm doing these Cotillion things. So I thought, you can't dance, you can't play cards, you can't smoke, you can't drink. Turns out, 
I go to this college thing that I start teaching, and all of these college students want to ask me about these things, but they want Bible, historical, accurate answers. I had to learn all these things. Do you know where all of that came from? It all came from the same place. Saloons. When, the, when, when everything was moving out west and all of your tombstone-type towns started springing up everywhere, the entertainment came in a saloon. Guess what they do in saloons? And, 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 nothing to do with the Bible. But the good church folk decided that the best thing for us to do is condemn all of that. And that in and of itself isn't wrong. Don't get yourself in a situation you can't get out of to do stupid things. But what it became was the 11th, 12th, 13th, and 14th commandments were, thou shalt not play poker, thou shalt not drink, thou shalt not dance, and thou shalt not smoke. And adding to the Bible is as bad as ignoring a part of the Bible. You can't give God's word any more than it is. All right? And you shouldn't try to take away from it either to suit your own needs. Let's be clear. I have not stood up here being a proponent of any of those things. Nor am I saying any of them are in Scripture. We can talk all day long about what is and what isn't and how to get there. Just don't do it like that. If you're going to make an argument, make it right and make it biblical. Because stupid, argu or stupid arguments, stupid responses lead to stupid things. And that's what they did here. Can we, can we spin it so that he can't answer it? so that I can't answer it, I wrote it! It's like asking J.K. Rowling what Harry's kid's name is. I, I came up with it! Jesus replied, people of this age marry and they're given in marriage, but those who are considered worthy and taking part of the age to come in the resurrection of the dead, neither marry nor be given in marriage and they can no longer die for they are like angels. They are God's children. They are also resurrected. But in the account of the burning bush, Moses showed that the dead rise. Oh, there it is. For he calls the Lord the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead. What? He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. Because in him we're alive. He said, <clears throat> Since you can't quit, this, this is exactly what just happened. Since you can't quit asking me questions, I'm going to give you an answer, not only to the question, but to questions you didn't ask. And I'm going to tell you why it was written, because that's what you should focus on. You're asking me all of these questions about marriage, and marriage has nothing to do with that here. It has to do with being married to me, because if you're married to me, there is no death. Only life. If you accept that I am the bride. Though you die. Yet shall you live. And then the teachers of the law said, well said. When you come to church and, and, and you get blessed, when you come to church and you get enriched, when you come to church and you feel the spirit moving and you go, mm, mm, amen, yes. Jesus is like, thank you. But then when nothing else happens, Jesus' heart breaks. Even the Pharisees understood a good teacher. Even they knew how to say, all right, well done. But they never changed. Are you a part of the game? Or are you a fan? 
You can come at me and ask all kinds of questions, get all kinds of answers for your personal knowledge, or you can know who I am. You can try to trick me and figure out you never will, or you can know who I am. You can talk about the money of this world, or you can talk about the one who owns the world. I am from all the way back in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. I just am. And in me there is life. Are you applauding Jesus? Or are you knowing him? And no one dared ask him any more questions. Now, there's a few verses left. They actually go with the first three or four verses of the next chapter. So we've walked through, we're gonna stop. You need to sit on this question. Do I wanna be in the game? Or do I just wanna be a fan in the stands? Jesus never asked for any fans. He just wants you, all of you. Let's pray. God, as always, I'm, I'm trusting. I'm trusting that, that, that I got out of the way and that your word speaks and teaches to the hearts of the people in this room. However, I also know in my, in my arrogance and in my in, in intelligence and in my, in my communicating that I, I so can stand in the way. I so can be a, a, a blockade instead of a vessel. I so can adjust the lever and send it ways I think it ought to go instead of ways that maybe you would have it go. So God, wherever and whenever that happens, would your spirit please filter that out and may your word fall on incredibly fertile soil and may it produce a crop 30, 60, 100 fold in the lives of everyone in this room. In Jesus' name, amen.